Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. God bless you. Well, I've been on a staycation for Kathy and I for a couple of weeks. Sometimes you don't know how tired you are until you stop. <laughs> have you ever done that? Where you're just like stopping, like, what do you want to do? You have all these plans for vacation, then you stop, and you're like, I'm actually tired. I think I'm going to do what tired people do, which is nothing. But we did manage to build a few things, just so no worries. <laughs> Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for this day. And we pray for a breakout of your, of your glory and of, your, of hope in Jesus' name. I, um, if you, uh, about three weeks ago was the last time I preached on a Sunday, and I've uh, been sharing this a theme of nobility. And it started out last, last preach with um, a Brave Co, um, Brave Co, Braveheart video. And I wanted to do that again because <laughs> it went so well. We had to stop this one just a little early because it had a cuss word in it, and I know how offended you all would be. So uh, you that are watching online, you can look this up. Um, why don't you just start that video? Well, that's cool. <laughs> I, I picked that video because I've heard this in my spirit that it's time to pick a fight. And I feel that the Lord wants us to move from defense to offense. And I, I wrote this charge. I, I shared it, I think, a few weeks ago. But I wrote this. Men, there must be a clear message sent to all hostiles that there is a noble defender of this family, that an attack on this household will result in great personal loss to any demonic intruder. And I feel like the Lord, you know, Jesus said, nobody takes the house of a strong man without first binding the strong man. I understand that there, the context could be negative. But I, I just asked the question, is there a strong man in your house? Is there a Holy Spirit strong man in your house? And I, I believe that the Lord is shifting our mentality. In fact, in first service, the, the, from the offering to the prayer time, was all about shifting our mentality, which is interesting to me because I feel like the Lord wants us to shift from defense to offense. I feel like the Lord wants us to shift from victims to victors and that we have got to get out of this mindset that we are like somebody's attacking us, somebody doesn't like us. And uh, I, I feel like there's, I feel like the Lord wants us to shift out of that and realize that we are divinely placed in this time, in this season for a time like this, we'll talk more about that, but that God does, wants us to get out of this mode where we're always on the defense, feel like the world, the you know, sky is falling, the world is going to hell, and I'm like, we've come here to disciple the nations. We've come here to transform a city. We've come here to, if you will, extend the borders of the kingdom. I, I shared this dream I had a couple years ago, but I wanna share it again. About two years ago, or longer, I had this dream, uh, two dreams actually. The first dream I had was the bear was chasing Bill and I. And you know, what, you, have you ever had one of those dreams you wake up and you have to keep telling yourself that wasn't real, that wasn't real, that wasn't real. Your heart is pounding and you're like, that wasn't real. Sweat's pouring off your head, that wasn't real. And I woke up like that one, the, this morning, this one morning, and I was like, oh my gosh, that wasn't real. Thank you, God, that wasn't real. And then the next morning, I had the same dream again. This bear was chasing Bill and I and right when it caught us, it gave us a hug. 
And I woke up and I was, my heart was pounding on my chest. And I, in 48 years, I think I've woke my wife up five times. It never works out well. <laughs> but I, I leaned over and I said, I just had this terrible dream. And she rolled over. Of course, she's you know, mostly asleep. And she said, what was the dream? I said, I had dreamt two nights in a row this bear was chasing Bill and I. And, and, and this morning it caught us and it hugged us. And she looked at me, she looked up without missing a beat, and she said, the bear is California. She said, the bear is California, and rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> the bear is California. You know the bear flag? The California flag is bear. The bear is California. By the way, don't give me any more stickers. I've got California bear stickers all over my office. It's on my computer. The bear is California, and, uh, and it's set in my mind, oh, what you think isn't friendly is actually friendly. Like, California actually loves you. <laughs> Here we go. I was meeting with some folks, and they were leaving uh, our church and going to another state. It was really wonderful. They asked for me to just meet with them and bless them. So I was doing that, and I was really feeling the... the uh, I was really agreeing with them. Like, I do agree that they were, that was where they were supposed to go. They had all these prophetic words. And it was, it was really a beautiful time, mostly. And then uh, they were sharing as, and so they were like, yeah, the Lord's sending us all this. And they had two or three little kids. And, and, they were, and then they started to say at the end of that, kind of telling, you know, what the Lord told them to do and go. And they said, you know, we just really want to get out of California. Like the schools are a cesspool of immorality and the, the, the political world's going to hell. And they said, and I was just planning on listening. <laughs> like I want to claim innocence in this moment. And suddenly I just found myself standing up. And like, there was only three of us in the office. There was really no reason to stand. And I said, no one's driving me out of my state. <laughs> Nobody's driving me out of California. No one's driving me out of my state. My grandparents migrated here from Spain. My, my kids were born here. My grandkids were born here. My great-grandkids were born here. I, listen, nobody is driving me out of my state. And, and they looked at me and I go, but you should leave. It's all good for you. I just, just felt like I needed to make a prophetic statement that nobody's driving me out of my state. And, and I, I, I feel like the, the Lord wants us to know that we are more than conquerors. Like we're actually born for a fight. We were actually, see that didn't get as much amen. It's like, we're more than conquerors. Yes, we are born for a fight. I like the title, I just don't want to actually fight anybody. But we were actually born for a fight. You know, I've been uh, reading, I've read the book of Esther a couple times last week. And uh, I love the book of Esther and if you don't know, much about the book of Esther. I'll just give you the, the overview and the main characters is the king who divorces his wife and is looking for a queen and it ends up with Esther. And we'll just make that story quick. He ends up with Esther through a series of kind of a beauty contest. And, um, and then uh, she has a cousin or kind of crazy uncle Mordecai. And Mordecai is really, he's, he's Jew, Esther and Mordecai are both Jews living in a non-Jewish country. And, um, and, and there's a, the other uh, main character in the, kind of in the movie is Haman. And Haman is the king's right-hand man, but he's kind of a narcissist egotist. And when he walks out of the castle, he demands that everyone bow down to him. And Mordecai just like, no, I'm not, no, listen, no, I'm not doing that. And every time he leaves the castle, 
and Mordecai's outdoors, you know, in, in, the, in the space, in his space, and doesn't bow down, he gets angrier and angrier and angrier. And he finally figures out, Haman finally figures out that Mordecai is a Jew. So he's like, okay, not only am I going to kill him, I'm going to have the king kill all the Jews. Because Mordecai says, I don't bow down to you because I only serve one God, and, then, and it ain't you. So he, Haman, convinces the king, this is the short version, that he should annihilate all the Jews. And the king has no idea that his wife's a Jew and that Mordecai's a Jew. And so he signs a decree for all the Jews to be annihilated. And in the meantime, there is a plot to kill the king. And Mordecai hears about the plot, and the short story is he tells the guards and they save the king. Well, story goes on, and Haman's getting more and more angry at Mordecai, and he's already made this, had the king sign this decree, and his family says, hey, not only should you just kill the Jews, you should hang Mordecai on gallows. So he builds these gallows to hang Mordecai on. And he goes in to see the king to get permission to hang Mordecai on the gallows, and he's kind of waiting for his appointment with the king. And the king turns to one of the servants and said, hey, you remember that guy who saved my life a couple of years ago? And they're like, yeah. Like, did we do anything? Did we send him a card or did we send him flowers or anything? You know, I kind of added that part. And uh, <laughs> did we do anything for him? And they're like, not that I remember. So he said, hmm. So Haman comes in for his appointment and the king's still thinking about that nobody did anything for this Mordecai guy who saved the king. So he says to Haman, Haman, what should the king do for somebody who he really, 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 really wants to honor? And of course, Haman's so arrogant, he's like, well, who else would the king want to honor but me? And he goes, well, what he should do is he put the king's robe on him, put a crown on his head, put him on the royal donkey, and, 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 and have someone escort him through the entire city saying, this is what the king does for people he loves and honors. And the king's like, that is amazing. So much better than flowers. <laughs> Haman, I want you to take Mordecai to the city. <laughs> and I want you to honor him. And you can imagine, well, first of all, I want to say, this is the shift we got going on. <laughs> you have to just think about this as I finish the story. So he has to walk Mordecai through the city saying, this is what the king does to the people he loves and honors. This is a great man. <laughs> and he goes home and he's totally humiliated. And he tells his wife, you're never going to believe what happened. And then his wife says, and his friends are there. They're, they're all waiting to see what the king said about hanging Mordecai. And his wife goes, is Mordecai a Jew? And he goes, uh-huh. She goes, you're dead. You can't stand against those guys. You die for that. And of course, the next scene is that she's in the palace and she's meeting with the king. But I love this part. Mordecai finds out about the, this kind of back a couple of scenes. Mordecai finds out that the Jews, that the king has signed a petition to kill the Jews. And he goes outside the castle where, Mordecai, where Esther's in the castle. And he goes outside the castle. He rips his clothes. He puts sackcloth on, he puts ashes on, and he's acting like a complete crazy man. And Esther looks out the window and sees her uncle Mordecai acting nuts. And she gets some nice clothes for him and tells his, her servant, hey, go down and tell uncle Mordecai to calm down and change his clothes. 
This is very prophetic. Calm down. Change your approach. And so she brings, she, he, he comes, she, the servant comes with a message and says, hey, your cousin Esther said, chill. Let's chillax a little. And let's change your clothes. You're kind of embarrassing the family name. And he says to her, you tell Esther not to think that living in a castle is going to keep the king from destroying her and her family. And you tell Esther, what if she actually attained royalty for a time like this? What if God had her born on a certain day so that she would be just the right age to be in the beauty contest and have just the right face and body to be chose by the king so that she would be in the palace at the exact right time so that she could save her people. What if she attained royalty for a time Esther gets the message and she sends back a note to Mordecai saying, tell Mordecai to pray and tomorrow I will face the king and if I die, I die. What if you attained royalty for this exact time? What if what Isaiah prophesied some 2,540 odd years ago when he said, Arise and shine. For deep darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness, the people. But the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Kings will come when they see the brightness of your rising. In fact, they all come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in arms. Then your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea is turned to you and the wealth of nations will come to you. Verse 11 says, and your gates will be open continually. They will not be shut day or night so that the wealth of nations will come to you and kings will be leading their procession. What if you, what if you, what if you, what if our online campus folks what if you all were actually born specifically right now so that you'd be the age that you're at and the place that you're at for a time like this? I don't think the problem with America and the nations is actually immorality. I think it's a cowardly bunch of lions. I think it's a cowardly bunch of lions. And I love this line. I missed this line till this last time. When William Wallace, they say to William Wallace, what should we do now? He said, just be yourselves. Just be yourself. Just don't be someone you're not. Because you are called as a royal priesthood. You are called for a time like this. You are divinely planned for a time like this like this. You are called, verse 37 of Romans 8, you are more 
than a conqueror. That means you were born for a fight. You are a light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, you're the light of the world. You were actually born for darkness. Are you with me? I'm right about that. I, um, I don't like the book of Job. I confess I read the whole book of Job one time. I have endeavored to read the book of Job, but I'm a little hypochondriac, so I start feeling like I'm going to get boils or <laughs> something's going to bad happen to me. So I kind of like, so I have ventured through the first few chapters and then I just go to the last chapter and read it. I'm like, oh, good, he's good. I'm good, he's good. <laughs> so there's like eight really good verses in the book of Job. I know all of those, so I can act like I've read the book, but I actually haven't. By the way, Dan read the whole Bible like 50 times. He's like rewriting it some of it or something. <laughs> no, he's not. He's writing a commentary on it. He's been on, on it for five years and he's about finished, hopefully. So good. So proud of him. It's going to be epic and beautiful. But this one verse in the book of Job stood out to me. Like, not because I read it, but just because it came to me yesterday when I was preparing. It's this verse. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That is a weird, that's why I don't read the book. Like, <laughs> like I, and I actually read the chapter so I remember what the context was. It's actually in chapter one and chapter two. You know, it says that, that Satan is like roaming the earth and God has this council of people and Satan shows up at it. And, I, I, you know, it's kind of it's kind of the scene, like a council of, I don't know, elders or leaders and Satan shows up in there and, and the Lord turns to him and says, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I'm, I'm like, Lord, <laughs> like with friends like you. <laughs> you know, have you ever read part of the Bible and you're like, wow, that is weird. Like, I mean, I wouldn't want the Lord to say, have you considered my servant Chris, you know? <laughs> I, and I'd hope the Lord, uh, the devil would go, no, I haven't and I don't want to. Have you considered my servant Job? Like, Lord, I, I don't like those verses. There are verses in the Bible I don't enjoy. This is one of them. Like, I'm talking to the Lord about it too. There could be, a, you know, another version. Like, that's a joke. That's streaming joke. So sorry. But it really did come to my mind yesterday. I really am serious. That part's not a joke. Like, I was like, I, I, was, I actually had to go find the verse. In, I knew it was someplace in Job, but... I'm like, have you considered my servant Job? And then I thought, Lord, that is a really weird idea, the concept that you would actually say to Satan, hey, check out this guy. He's, he really loves me. I'm like, you know, Lord, he's doing good. I've heard this prophetic word, you're like Job, and the Lord's going to, you know, take half of everything you have, but then he's going to give you double back. I'm like, I like what I have right now. I'm good. <laughs> I don't need double. I'm, I'm just happy as a lark right here. But then I was thinking about Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. And let me read you this verse. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. I'm like, that is, I just thought about this. Like, that is a really kind of Job weird verse too. 
Because in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us to pray that, he would not, that God would not lead us into temptation. But in chapter 4, it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into temptation. 40 days in the wilderness. I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And I was thinking about this whole idea of picking a fight. And I started thinking about the fact that God didn't say to Satan, have you considered Job so that Job would be destroyed? God didn't say to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like, hey, lead Jesus into the wilderness and to be tempted by the devil so that the devil would win. He brought him into the wilderness and then told him to fast for 40 days. By the way, no water or food. And it said on the 40th day, when Jesus got hungry, the devil showed up. So in his greatest weakness, the devil shows up. And I think of it like this now, like the Lord goes, okay, we're gonna weaken Jesus and we're gonna use him as bait. And when he gets really weak, the devil's going to come in thinking, now I can beat him. But when we are weak, he is strong. <laughs> Have you considered my servant Job? The Lord is... <laughs> Isaiah prophesied that the Lord's going to take God's enemies. He's going to put a ring in his nose and drag him into a battle. And I have a sense that the Lord, <laughs> I know you're not liking this message right now. It doesn't get too much better. It's coming, kind of coming to a climax. But <laughs> I have this feeling that the Lord is just dragging the enemy into you. And you think something's going wrong, but I'm like, nothing's going wrong. The Lord didn't bring the enemy into your camp to defeat you. He brought him into your camp for you to defeat him. You're like, something's going wrong. And the Lord's like, no, something's going right. You're like, I feel so weak. And the Lord's like, perfect, perfect. And, and it says, Luke ends this, and Jesus left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He came led by the Spirit, and he left in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus did no public miracles before he had a private victory in the wilderness. I heard this this quote, I shared it a couple of weeks ago by T.D. Jakes. I love T.D. Jakes. He's the best storyteller ever. He could take one verse and preach for 40 minutes on it. And I was listening to this preach he was doing, and he said this. He said, Goliath was not sent to kill David. He was sent to reveal him. And I was thinking about David. He was anointed king in 1 Samuel 15. And 1 Samuel 17, he fights Goliath. How many know when he goes, when Goliath stands up and taunts the armies of the living God, David is, turns to his friends and he's like, what is this guy doing taunting the armies of the living God? How come no one's doing anything about this? And they're like, well, the king said he did enrich his house and give him his daughter. And it's like, oh, tell me that again. Give me the news. And then he goes to the king. They bring him to the king and said, tell him. He says, hey, tells the king, he tells King Saul. Saul David tells King Saul, I killed the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of those. How many understand? Nobody knew who David was until Goliath taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, there is a noble defender. There is a noble, are you with me? There is a noble defender in this household. There is a noble defender of this movement. There is a noble defender, de defender of this tribe. There is a noble defender of this state. There is a noble defender of this nation. Nobody defies the armies of the living God. 
<laughs> I just like this. And this makes me so excited. In uh, Luke, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, the days of, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. I read that verse and then I, I thought about Acts chapter uh, two. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they came together in one place and there suddenly came from heaven a noise, and get this, of a violent rushing wind. I've read it in eight versions. There's probably a version that doesn't use the word violent, but eight versions at least use the word violent. There wasn't just a rushing wind. It wasn't like, whoosh. <laughs> it wasn't like, whoosh. It was like, rah. I don't know what violent, <laughs> try to picture what violent could look like. <laughs> Whatever it looked like. Like it was a violent rushing wind. I believe the Lord is sending a violent rushing wind. I believe, I believe, that the Lord, I believe that the Lord is moving in power and the church looks weak and God goes, you come on in here. And the devil goes, I got him now. And the Lord's like, yes, you do. And he's got a ring in the nose of the devil and he is dragging him in. And people are like, the sky is falling. The Lord's like, heaven is coming. And Jesus said this, a man came to him and said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me per permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. And Philippians, Paul wrote this. Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, wrote this. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do is I forget what lies, I'm forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward for what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we lack courage because of our past sin. Like with our kids, you're raising teenagers and your kid starts to be promiscuous or starts to do drugs or something and you're like, well, I, I, I was not moral in school. How could I be a hypocrite and tell him he should be or tell her she should be? But how many understand that when Jesus forgave you, that he also restored you. When you repented, he, he took you and he restored you to the pinnacle so that your lowest thing you did in life, your sin is no longer your ceiling. But your redemption is your floor. Now you can come with boldness and say to your son, hey, that's a bad plan. Hey, have you thought through what you're doing with the daughters of God? Hey, if you take that drug, it's gonna derail your destiny. And you can say it with confidence and boldness because you are a redeemed royal priest. You can forget what lies behind. Are you with me? Like we have to dump the junk in our life and move forward with confidence and say, the Lord uses me. He doesn't just use me, he loves me. Like he's not just a user, he's a lover. In 1519, Cortez arrived in the New World, which I believe was Mexico, and he was wanting to colonize Mexico. I know this is kind of a bad story in some ways now that I tell it. But he just had 600 men on four ships, and he wanted to make sure that his men had no options. So as the men landed on the shore and got off their boats, Cortez burned the boats, the ships. You can imagine looking back going, well, climb or die. We're either going to 
complete this mission or we're going to die. And there's something about burning your fellowships, burning your, like there isn't an option. It's like win or die. It's like move forward because there's no way back. I was thinking about Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah anoints Elisha with his mantle, he throws his mantle on him and he doesn't tell him to do anything. But Elisha knows instinctively, this is a crazy Holy Spirit man. This is not gonna be an easy journey. So he, he instinctively goes back and he, and he offers the 24 oxen that this, was, this is his work, this is his labor, this is how he farms. He offers 24 oxen, all of the oxen that he has. He, he takes all his farming equipment, if you will, and he destroys it. So that when he has bad days, he has no way back. Let me just say this. Some of you need to do this in your marriage. Ooh, I didn't say that in any service. There, there's no way back. You got to make this marriage work. It's the only one you got. Whew. This is covenant. This is what it means to burn your fellowships, your relationships with other lovers. It's like, I don't have a, like, this doesn't work. I can always know, no, there's no way back. You are a loyal, royal, noble priest. This is who you are. I wrote this, I'll, I'll read it. I, I read it once already. Sorry. I gotta find it now. It always feels longer when you're staring at me. Okay, yeah, look away. Can't find it. Yes, I found it. Morality is whispered only in the safety of the closest of friends. And purity has become a well-kept secret. Nobility has, become vir has virtually disappeared from society, viewed as old man's musings, irrelevant, to the 21st century hipsters in the PC crowd. In fact, morality, in fact, moral restraint is viewed as a bondage that shackles society promoted only by religious bigots and antiquated dinosaurs who are disappearing in the ice age of a sunless, S-O-N, sunless society. And so we with noble purpose cower in the corner of culture, living in the shadows of society, desperately hoping we don't awaken the hipster's dissatisfaction and invite, our, invite into our lives the unnecessary persecution. Meanwhile, our children march slowly into darkness as we congratulate ourselves on another day without offense. I want to point out that this is not who we are. This is not who we are. We have the truth, and the truth makes people free. We see glory rising, and, and how many know that glory... Glory, you can't have glory and not have virtue. How many know that glory is, is gifts with character? Are you, are you following me? Glory is a mixture of great noble character with splendor and honor. And so I want to pray for you. Why don't you stand? You know, when I'm talking to you, what comes to my mind too is 
We have a Braveco conference coming up. Ladies, you should sign your men up. You should be, hey, we have a noble defender in our home and he needs to get some training at the Braveco conference coming up this coming month and it's gonna be amazing. We're gonna gather with other men, noble men, godly men who learn how to go through the rite of passage and take a stand. So I wanna really encourage you in that. Let me just pray for you right now. Father, why don't you put your hands out? Why don't you say this? Lord, I thank you that you've made me a noble person. There is a defender of this family. There is a noble person who defends this city, this state, and this country. Lord, would you give me the boldness and courage of Jesus himself, that I'd be a radical revolutionary that sees the conversion of people, the conversion of cities and nations. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can sit down for just a minute. I have a couple of prophetic words I want to give. Um, is there a Samuel in the room? Someone named Samuel, Samuel in this room? Awesome, that's... You stood right up, didn't you? There's two Samuels in this room? Is that your son's name, Samuel? Oh, that's beautiful. Anybody else named Samuel? They're like, someone's like, oh, I, that's close to my name. <laughs> and there's probably some online. I, um, the words, the name Samuel means uh, God hears. And I, I felt that the Lord was opening the ears of the Samuels in our, in our midst, that he was opening the ears, that he was giving you prophetic eyes to see, prophetic ears to hear, and that there would be, uh, there would be a, 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 a dramatic increase in your ability to see and hear. We pray, too, for the, our children, that they would be prophets in the house, prophetesses in the house, that God would raise up the Samuels that would turn this generation, that would prophesy to this generation that the dead bones of this society would become the mighty armies of God. And I pray for an anointing to be on you guys, and I pray for anointing on our online campus, that there would be an anointing on the Samuels and that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear. You can sit. Thank you very much. Is there a Troy in here? A Troy. Someone named Troy in here. Anybody named Troy? Okay, we're going to give the prophecy anyway because of online. Uh, I, I saw the word uh, this morning. Troy, you are a defender of truth and a good standard of excellence. And I felt like, Troy, that the Lord had set you in the midst of the dark people. That you were like a light in very dark people. And you're considering like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. There's a lot of pressure here. And I, I feel like the Lord's called you to be like a Daniel or even like an Esther. That you would stand strong in the midst of a dark, uh, dark uh, people. And that you would bring light and life to them in Jesus' name. Um, this morning, I had this strong sense that there was, uh, there was a spirit of suicide and that people, that the Lord brought people here who were contemplating suicide. And I want to just tell you, just be totally transparent. About 15 years ago, I laid on the couch. I was suicidal for six months. Had all kinds of videos running through my mind of taking my own life. Thankfully, my wife and some friends around me really became strength to me as the Lord strengthened me. But I feel like the Lord wants to break the spirit of suicide off of people. And um, I want to tell you this quick story. The first time I preached in Jesus culture, at Jesus Culture, when Jesus Culture was here, Jesus Culture was our youth group. And uh, Banning was leading it. And there was probably, I don't know, a couple hundred kids in the room. And I got done preaching, and the Lord said, those, those four girls in the back, and there was, there was 
you know, places full of people, but those four girls that are sitting together in back, I said, yeah. He said, they actually have a suicidal pact with each other. They're going to kill themselves tonight. So I walked back to the row and I said, you four girls, you're in a suicide pact. They fell down to the ground, started screaming. They had actually written a note to each other and they had actually made a pact to kill themselves. And we just broke suicide off of them. They became amazing women in the youth group. But I feel like the Lord wants to break the power of suicide off of people in this room and people watching. If that's you, would you stand right now? I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to free you. Stand right now. Thank you so much. I know this room is full of people. Stand right now. Right there, please stand right now. And over there, please stand right now. Have courage to stand. Yes, thank you. These videos run through your mind. I know that like, this is like a spirit of suicide. By the way, this was common to Jesus. You remember in Luke 4, the devil takes Jesus up to the pinnacle and temple and says, throw yourself off. So I want to tell you, like, this is, there's no temptation that's, that you should be ashamed of because Jesus was tempted in every way. I feel like there's somebody over there. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be persistent, and I know we're going a few minutes over. But if you could stand, I would really, really want to pray for you. You're someone right over there. You can stand. I know you've been tormented. Thank you very much. So just extend your hands to these folks right here. Lord, we break the power of suicide in Jesus' name. We command that thing to leave. And I want to, I want to prophesy this to you. Not only is the Lord going to deliver you from the spirit of suicide, but he's going to make you a freedom fighter. And I believe the power of deliverance is going to be on you so strong that people around you are actually going to get free from the spirit of suicide. And I saw you in a store and walking down the aisle and you just heard that woman right there, she's going to commit suicide. And I saw you turning to her and say, hey, ma'am, I'm sorry. I had this thing going on in me some, some while back and I feel like it's on you and the Lord wants to free you. The Lord freed me. And I feel like you're going to be a freedom fighter. Each of you are going to be freedom fighters. And many people are going to get free from this spirit because this is your wilderness and the Lord's beating it today. He's beating it out of you. He's beating it out of your family's life. Even one of you, your father committed suicide. It's trying to pass to you. And the Lord said, it's not going to pass. I prophesy to the people on our online campus, it's not going to pass to you. This thing is to be broken in your family lineage. You are to be a stopgap for this suicidal spirit from your legacy in Jesus' name. We rebuke that thing and we release life and light and you will be a person who brings freedom to other people in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just give it up for the Lord. You can sit down. Um, if you need the Lord, would you just stand? I just want to, I have a word for you. If, you. if you've never met the Lord before, if you just stand up, I, I have something for you this morning. Is there anybody that doesn't know the Lord you want us to stand up right now? Because I feel like there's so much freedom. I feel like the Lord is just releasing revivalists, like people who are former drug addicts, people who are formerly addicted to stuff. I feel like the Lord's bringing them. I feel like the Lord's bringing a lot of people who were with addictions and even uh, uh, satanic kind of ritual stuff. He's bringing them into our movement in the next six, six months. They're going to be among us, and the Lord is bringing them here for freedom. For freedom. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you very much. He's coming for Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.